Welcome to RevSpot. I'm your host, Tanner Green, and each week we're going to be diving into the life and mind of HubSpot's premier players, the Solutions Partners. This podcast is specifically about hearing their experiences, opinions, and ideas about how RevOps and AI are shaping the future. If you're a Solutions Partner or working with one, you're in the right place. So tune in and learn about how they innovate and approach frameworks, processes, and automations in the HubSpot CRM in order to create the true RevOps flywheel. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are super excited to have Mr. Alden Dale on the show the uh, the wonderful beard that he has is making me a jealous a little bit. I can't grow a beard. Um, if you're looking at the screen, this is about, you know, probably a week, I would say. Probably a week. And so um, it's really nice to see people who can grow beards and represent them well. So Alden, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little intro. Yeah, so I've been kind of in the digital marketing and sales space for going on about uh, 15 years or so. I actually got started back in the day. I had a, had a sales job making outbound calls, uh, everything out of Salesforce. And I basically coded Excel to go out and to make, uh, to make all my notes and send emails and that kind of thing. And basically built marketing automation and visual basic. Um, I had a bo boss, leaked it to the boss's boss. And before long, I was sitting with a VP that says, you know, we have Eloqua for that. Um, and that's kind of how I got started in marketing automation, CRM work, and been doing uh, doing that since. Uh, worked with, uh, over the years, worked with a variety of different tools, uh, Eloqua, Marketo, Pardot from the CRM space, Salesforce, Dynamics, Sugar, most of the big names. And, uh, you know, being being the operations person I am and a little bit of a jack of all trades, not, not afraid to say that I can figure out how to do something, even if I haven't ever quite picked up that tool. So... That's where I've been been doing a lot of the work, certainly in the last uh, three or four years or so. HubSpot's been a bigger and bigger player. And so lately, uh, really more and more of my work uh, in kind of the CRM and marketing automation space is with HubSpot. Just, you know, it's it's the tool that a lot of businesses are picking up. They're seeing a lot of growth. And so these days, a good deal of my clients that I'm working with are HubSpot clients as well, working on, you know, integrations, working on campaigns, marketing campaigns, basically all kind of the data, the back end, the support that makes good marketing, good sales, good service happen for an organization. Very cool. So why you've done, sounds like everything under the sun. So, <laughs> and you're ended up landing on HubSpot. Do you do other CRMs as well, or are you strictly HubSpot? Um, so I do other CRMs as well. I'm, I'm, uh... It would make sense considering... <laughs> your your history <laughs> yeah you know i i chase after where the money is i won't lie um back in the day you know eight eight ten years ago when marketo was going gangbuster like that was my main platform just because i'm i'm going to be serving where there's client needs and so you know and the, to the same extent though you know i've chased after hubspot recently that being said uh, you know certainly keep up with at any one time i've probably got a couple of Random, you know, a Pardot project, Clavio, uh, do stuff even with active campaign for some more smaller, mid-sized businesses. Um, so I'm fairly comfortable. One of the things that's kind of cool about like marketing and sales operations, once you get data structure, how tables work, kind of what the tools are designed to do, hopping from one user interface to another and a from tool to tool, 
there's certainly some, you know, tips and tricks you can learn for any one tool, but a lot of the same general principles about what makes good marketing, what makes good sales, and how you can support that operationally from software, that's fairly universal across all the different software platforms. So I'd say probably 80% of my clients these days have HubSpot, um, but we work with just about whatever. Um, having a separate CRM or connecting that HubSpot instance to another few major tools is also a big part of what I do. So I do see a, quite a lot of Salesforce as well. Very cool. So kind of like what you're saying, I'm a software engineer at heart. And kind of what you're saying is how to relate that is if you learn one computer science language, you can learn another one and so on and so forth. The more you learn, the more you're like, okay, I see the same principle. I get what's happening here. It takes a little bit of understanding and maybe some experience, but with, with the exception of Ruby crazy. on Rails, that one just comes out of oh left boy. field. And yeah, God, God bless the people that can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are eternally grateful for those people. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about your your own personal journey into Araveo and um, that introduction, because I know you have this tale of two solutions partners going on. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there is a wide variety of needs from a wide variety of clients these days in this world. My my real passion is, is to work um, and to really bring kind of operational excellence to bear um, from a marketing and a sales perspective. I have done, you know, over the years, I, I switched from client side to agency side about gosh, about eight or nine years ago at this point, just realized, you know, wh while there's a need to hire what I do internally, usually one or two resources, often the type of work that I do is better, you know, from an agency perspective, you need a lot of work in a short period, and then you may need not need that uh, talent for a few months on end, while campaigns are running, while results are being acquired, and that kind of thing. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, I really like being able to kind of call my own shots, work with clients maybe that are particularly visionally aligned, projects I can get excited about. I've done, recently done some work uh, with, uh, with a school accreditation agency that's the accreditation agency for my children's school. Being able to really dive into some of those projects where I can get excited about what I'm doing from a marketing and sales perspective is important to me. So having a, having a review there as the the brand that I can work with these clients where I know that there's going to be visual alignment, where we can deliver excellence at all levels, I, I feel is it's really an exciting and exciting place to be. Yeah, that is that is really cool. What are some of the, the primary advantages of integrating your processes that you have into the CRM um, and, and kind of connecting all those together? Mm -hmm. Besides the community bringing it together, that's an amazing part. What are some other things, I guess, business operationally? Yeah, so I think that there's, you know, that there's both kind of the 30,000 foot answer to these questions, talking at a high level, how integrations can go. And then there's the, you know, 1,000 foot level with some really practical stuff. Um, I would say, first off, I'm not, I, I will, you know, using my usual no is a correct answer sometimes. I don't think just because two things can be integrated or connected, they always should. I do think any kind of integrations and whenever data starts getting shared with, with other tools, you want to think through it. And just because it can doesn't mean it should. Um, so that's kind of the caveat I'm going to throw to the whole thing. But overall as a whole, like when you start having uh, the ability to, to get data connected, hands down, 
Um, the biggest thing that it enables is really um, end-to-end agreement across systems and across reporting. And I think the biggest the biggest advantage is really that full that full view of the customer. And that might start as early as you know taking a look at what your PPC teams are generating and what they're seeing and their interactions, down to the marketing team and what they're doing. In Sorry, terms real of, quick yeah. for for those of them. In the audience, they may that may not know what PPC means. So, uh, yeah, PPC, pay per click advertising. So just and anything like when you don't know who a customer is yet, when you're trying to attract them, trying to attract them, you've got them attracted, trying to get them interested. They're interested, trying to sell. Once they're sold and you've got that closed, trying to keep them and trying to keep them happy and figure out what they need to just recurring sales. If that's your model, whatever it is. That whole that whole funnel and having a complete instead of saying, hey, I need to go to this one system to understand this one part. I need to go to this other system to understand this other part. I need to go to this other system to understand the sales process. There is a lot of value loss for businesses whenever you're going to different systems for different parts of the complete end to end customer journey. Eight or 10 years ago, the marketing to sales alignment was the big struggle. Um, that was always the big pain point that we heard about all the time. Marketing would hand stuff off to sales and they wouldn't know what was happening to it. Sales would need more qualified leads and the stuff they were getting didn't meet any criteria that they were looking for. There was a major disconnect really between marketing and sales. And I think in the last four or five years, that's almost become a non-existent issue. These days, whatever system you're using, HubSpot, Salesforce, a lot of these other tools have really smoothed out that marketing to sales handoff process where we've got unified data across both divisions. And it's done amazing things for company growth. It's done amazing things from a strategic perspective to really, you know, the the C-level can now take a look and say, really, what is going on with our pipeline? The individual manager can say, great, I'm a marketing manager. I did this great campaign. I handed it off to sales. I'm seeing they didn't like it for these reasons. You know, the the sales team lead can quickly say like, hey, all this stuff that we've got incoming, how are my reps doing it following up from it? Being able to have that complete picture where it's, it's not siloed data, but it's unified across sales marketing has been huge. I think we're at an inflection point now where the real growth for a lot of brands is going to be taking it beyond just marketing and sales, taking it earlier than marketing with kind of your anonymized website visits, your event interactions, uh, maybe dimensional mailers if you're doing that, taking that, bringing that data alongside of the marketing and the sales data. And I think the real growth for a lot of brands is then bridging the service gap. And I think just as 10 years ago, getting everything unified across marketing and sales drove a lot of revenue. I think in the next decade, we're going to see um, a much stronger unification from the sales to the service handoff, where we get that really dialed down, because that's an area where still a lot of brands, both B2C brands that are looking for customer retention, B2B brands, maybe a SaaS company that's got subscriptions, that's got renewals. Right now, service is still in many organizations kind of the the redheaded stepchild that hasn't fully integrated with sales marketing. Um, So I think that the the real value is that everybody at all levels is going to appreciate having that unified data, some great progress having been made. I love HubSpot because it makes the service jump really easy. 
<laughs> Not to say yeah. if you have Zendesk and you integrate it with Salesforce and you're tying that back to you know something else, you can't make it happen. But there is a real advantage to that uh, sales to post sales handoff. So I think that that's that's the area that's going to continue to grow. I get excited about tools that do that, even though I don't come necessarily from a service first background. I've more grown into service in the last three or four years. Um, and kind of the, the user experience UX side of things has been something I've picked up because I've really seen that's where there's still a lot of revenue on the tables for a lot of brands. Amazing. So, so Alden, if, if I were a, a new business wanting to, to get set up with HubSpot and I came to you and I said, what are you know, what do I got to do to, to maximize the value of, of HubSpot in the CRM and, and get, you know, what you're saying, get the marketing and sales aligned um, mm -hmm. and hopefully the service aligned with the sales and all of these different proponents of what we're actually doing, how, what would you say and what would you kind of dive into? Yeah. So un unusually for an ops guy as myself, instead of talking about tools and integrations and connections to get the most out of those, I'm going to say, let's pause for a second and let's think about how we go to market, how we sell, how we service our clients. And let's really figure that out. Well, um, it's surprising how many brands have seen so much success and have still yet to really sit down and figure out and say, what do we what are we doing? What do we want to be doing and how aligned are those things? So when I work with clients, the first step, I almost always require a lot of people like, no, just, I just want to set up the tools. I just need to get our CRM. I just need to start sending emails. I just need to do that. And there may be, you know, God bless you. If that's what you're looking for, there are other agencies. I will flat out say, I'm probably not your best person to work with you because personally, I don't think you're going to get that much value out of it doing it that way. I really say, let's stop. And let's figure out what we're doing as a business first. Practically speaking, I like to walk through kind of a little bit of a discovery process. What are our revenue streams? Where are they coming from currently? Where do we want them coming from? Are we sure that kind of what we're incentivizing with our marketing and our sales and our service process, is that actually the right revenue streams that we want to be pursuing in the right ways? And then once we get that agreed upon, really laying out, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but flow diagrams are massively helpful to saying, what do we want to do? This is all before we touch any tools. Now, I'm going to be, I kind of walk through this process with tools in mind. I've been using the tools for years and years. So I am kind of constantly thinking through tools as I'm doing this, but I'm not, I never want to work with a client with a tool driven approach to business. I always want to say it's a business driven approach to tools. And you've got to have the knowledge of tools to inform it, but it's really the business driver is the key. So when a client comes and says like, hey, we just got these tools, we want to start off, I say, great, how do we sell? What do we sell? Where are our customers coming from? What are they doing? How are we talking with them in the marketing? How are we talking with them during sales? When they become a customer, what are we doing? Mapping that out and then starting to say, okay, now we know where we want to be. How are the tools going to plug in to make this happen? Um, the other kind of unusual approach I take is I'll say, let's not automate everything we can. Um, there's a lot that can be automated, uh, but I usually say, let's start with manual processes, even though like I literally set up automations all day. I, you know, I can do Python script as good as the, I mean, I guess, okay, probably not as good, nearly as good as you, Tanner, but you know, I can spin up, <laughs> Rob, I can spin up Python. Careful there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
I'm sure you'll do a great job. Um, But I always say like, let's set things up and let's try things and systems and processes out where there's still a lot of checks and balances, manual checks and balances in first. And I think there's an allure, especially with a lot of the great um, AI driven technology these days, a lot of data analysis, there's a lot of automated stuff to help. And I always urge to approach that slowly. They're great tools and they should be used, but we need to always adopt them kind of conscientiously after I usually say after having done it manually a little bit, you know, instead of immediately setting up a big, you know, the classic marketing qualified lead where marketing says it and hands it off to sales, it's automatically routed and it goes to the right rep within eight minutes. You say, hey, instead of doing that, let's just set it up and let's have a marketing manager to be reviewing those by hand for the first couple of weeks or the first month or two. Let's have a sales rep that they literally get together with in a room if they're in a physical office or they spin up a Zoom meeting and they look at them together um, on the phone, going through them, whatever it is, and actually try the process manually first before we make any decisions about automation. Try stuff manually. So that's a slightly different approach I have than a lot of other operations people. I love the automation. I love the tools. I love the technology, but I always say like, just first try it out by hand. So once we go through that process, then it's about saying, okay, we've got our, we've got our process figured out. We know where our data is flowing. We know what we want to do. And then it really becomes a matter of kind of prioritizing growth. Um, I tell people like setting up a CRM and a marketing automation tool, a really neat, powerful tool like HubSpot, Um, Even if you're using Salesforce, even if you're using one of the giants in Eloqua or Marketo, like the the idea is the same. You don't, you know, you don't build Rome in a day. Um, And one of the things I like to do is say, great, we've got the basic framework set up. We've agreed on a long-term vision and then really laying out what's the roadmap from here till there and being realistic about prioritizing and saying, okay, we're not going to deploy everything right away instantly. Um, And we're not even going to try to have a mass deploy where on, you know, April 1st, we turn on all of these systems. I usually encourage much more iterative. That's um, what I call, I mean, it's a priority driven approach. Everything we want to do, you say, what's the value? What's the effort? Therefore, how should we prioritize it with any kind of marketing, with any kind of sales, with, you know, should we set up this playbook? Should we, you know, turn on this connector to these, uh, this PPC tool that we use? Should we? Uh, work with this content syndication network and set up an integration directly with our CRM, like any of these things, put them on the list. What's the value for the brand? How much we get out of this? How much work will it take? Therefore, how should we prioritize it? Um, So that's, I mean, I usually use Airtable on a very down to the, in the weeds level, I'll literally set up an Airtable with that kind of thing that lets us take a look at those dependencies. But I always keep that the priority that's based off of value and effort in mind as we're developing and building out your CRM, your marketing automation, your service, the tools, the integrations, and all of that. Realistically, it never, it probably should never stop. <laughs> but even for most clients, even for those that are committed to this, yes, we get it, it'll never stop. A full, truly getting a tool like HubSpot or a full CRM or a full marketing automation fairly. Uh, kind of in your company's lifeblood and a regular part of the process where it's not about training, it is a six month to a year process. Yeah, you're going to be using the tool in eight weeks, 
and you're going to be seeing value from it in the first eight weeks. But realistically, just know that it takes time. It's going to take adoption. It's going to, you know, your sales reps won't quite see the value in this initially. And you've got to show them some cool stuff. You know, the marketing manager might be confused by how these particular templates should be leveraged. Like there is just going to be an adoption phase. But if you're kind of always looking what's value, what's effort, therefore what's priority, it's really going to help make sure that that growth process um, as things are deployed and integrated and set up is driven by the things that are actually going to drive bottom line value for you. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, we could really just end the episode right now. That's it. And we're done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think there's, there's so many things that I want to unpack there. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to do so, but I kind of wanted to dive in a follow-up question on the the I'm a huge automation guy. I mean, that's what I do for our business and I love it. And so I want to get your thoughts on the manual process for the first couple of weeks before you do automations. What is the thought process behind that? Like, how'd you get in starting to do that in the first place? Like, I'm assuming a lot of it was just like, hey, before we even put the automations in, we want to make sure this works and it's actually yeah. working. I But I don't know. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I, I started back in the day where, I mean, I, I did enough coding and programming where I'd be like my first, when I whenever I saw a slightly repetitive task, I'd immediately hop into like, how can I automate this? How can I code this? How can I program this? I mean, VBA working across multiple things and I found web scraping and I found all of that back in the day. I'm like, this is genius. I'm going to do it all the time. And I had some successes, but I was surprised that there were misses. There would be times where I would spend, you know, we all know the story. You spend 12 hours automating it and it saves you eight minutes a day for six months. And then it gets outdated because the process changes and it's no longer needed. And you're like, ooh, maybe that wasn't the actual best investment. Um, and it was that it was, you know, going from that and saying automation is good and it's it's it does save a lot of time. I mean, I've had so many wins in my career. I remember that first sales job I mentioned to you. You know, I, I, once I figured out how to automate that, I'd literally be done with my work in the first three hours of the day. And that's what got my boss suspicious. She's like, you're sitting here playing on your phone for the rest of the day. I'm like, I finished up two hours ago. I got nothing else to do when all the other teams were struggling to get it done. So it can save, but it was that realization that um, sometimes it's not, the, the investment isn't going to be worth it. And then the other thing is I started kind of dialing back that urge to immediately jump into automating, I realized if I waited a bit and if I thought through it, the automations got vastly better when I did put them into place. And so I'd force myself a project I did a few years back. For example, we had to, clients were testing forms across literally, I think, 1,200 landing pages that they had scattered on all ends of the web. It was it was a nightmare. Obviously, a, a queue, 1,200? Queue up some, yeah, 1,200. Um, I but before, I'm like, okay, I want to queue up the Python script. But before I did, I went through and I did about 20 of the checks by hand manually. And that was such a good thing because I realized as I was doing those 20, there was stuff that I wouldn't have guessed initially that if I had immediately jumped in to the automation and tried to build it out all one way, I would have gone a, a wrong direction with it. And so hmm. that forcing myself to say, hey, I'm going to do this by hand. I'm going to randomly pick about 20 of these. And as painful as it is for a guy that knows how to do automation to literally go to a bunch of different landing pages, plug stuff in, open up your CRM, look at how it was like, I'm like, this should be a script. 
But doing that and forcing myself got me to understand better what we were looking for. It made the automation more powerful. And in the end, it really cuts down a lot on the errors at the other end. Because if you don't really experience it, if you're not really doing it first, any type of QA quality assurance work that you're doing on the automation is going to be based off your assumptions. It may not be based on the actual real use cases. So forcing your marketing team to do a manual process of handoff, your sales team to do a manual, like I'm going to go through and find the people I want and tell the marketing guy why I want them. Forcing them to do that means that you're actually building processes that are designed to real applications for your business, as opposed to kind of initial suppositions that may and often are fairly right, but maybe missing some notable stuff that that practical application has. And so you end up often having a lot less revisions down the road instead of building it, deploying it, tweaking it a bunch, redeploying it, tweaking it some more, redeploying it and still, and then having people be weary of the process by the end and not even love it. If you instead say, hey, we're going to start with the wearying part, which is by hand. We're going to do all of our learnings in this by hand. And then when we do build out our automations, you're only doing one round. It's a vast improvement and people realize exactly what they're getting time savings wise. And you've done a lot of your learnings to skip kind of that iterative tweaking cycle that often comes on the end when you deploy it. So as I've done that, we found massive amounts of success with that approach. Our clients love it more. They always kind of question it a little bit up front, but I've never had a client come to me after six months and be like, that was a dumb way of doing it. We should have just jumped right in. Consistently, people are saying, that is so great. We learn new stuff about our employees. We learn new stuff about our customers. We got such better, like how we set it up, we love, instead of like, why do we set it up? Why is it this weird way? Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. So. Um, last, last question I want to ask you, Alden is being an automation guy and seeing kind of the future and, and what's going on with, and kind of seeing the history in the past from this matching of marketing to sales, what you talked about, and you, you mentioned sales to service, you know, what do you see the future role of a CRM and how AI is going to play a part in this space? Yeah. So, I mean, I think AI's role in all of this, I think AI is a, a both, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing. Um, I've been horribly depressed to see the abuses of it. We all, you know, everyone's like, oh, great. I can just crank out blog articles at the rate of 50 a day. You know, th those kind of obvious abuses of any kind of generative AI from a marketing, from a sales perspective. You know, we've all been on that chat where, you know, hello, Felicia is answering your chat. And you're like, this is a bot. I can see it's a bot. <laughs> you know, granted, you're using generative AI, so it's getting slightly more. But, you know, we all know what this looks like. We can sniff it out at this point. The, those abuses yeah. are the downside. Um, I think the real key, the, the winners I've seen, the people that I've seen that have leveraged AI and will continue to leverage AI well, is to realize what it is. Like, AI is a horribly complex search engine. To some extent, that's what it's doing. And if you understand what it's doing is it's combing through either your data, your, let's say, your knowledge base articles and going through and reading a lot of your internal product documentation, whether it's leveraging some kind of AI to read through massive quantities of data that you've accumulated on your customer base over the years, whatever it is, it's a search engine that allows you to skip a lot of, a lot of the human... Um, 
you know, shotgun approach, a lot of the trial and error, it allows you to skip that and get to the good stuff quicker. If you see that's what AI is, I think that that's where you're going to be able to deploy it well. If you see it as a replacement um, for a human, you either didn't need that human in the first place or you're doing something wrong with what you're having your humans do. <laughs> um, but if you see it, hey, this is a tool that helps people get more done. You know, this is taking our screwdriver from a hand screwdriver to a power drill. It's not giving you a whole new tool. It's empowering the tools you've got, empowering the people you've got that know how to wield the tools and how to do it well. So to that extent, what is, what is AI, practically speaking, going to do in your CRM well? You can set, I mean, what, what used to be a, I mean, one of my degrees is in stats. So like, hey, you want to do a real analysis of your stuff. Let's do a full regression analysis of all of your data. Let's do a cluster analysis looking for this stuff, like a process that would make a stat guy like me get excited. But frankly, it took a long time, you know, and it didn't always yield stuff where you're like, you get to the end, you're like, and hey, we spent all that time. And there's nothing statistically significant. You can now basically tell AI and say, hey, get, give me a jump start on that data. Take a look at what's out there and start combing through for that. I think it's phenomenal for things like that. It should never replace it. You should never copy and paste the output from AI anywhere. But what you should do is that one of the first things you should look at when you want to analyze data, if you've got a tool that does that, that uses some kind of AI machine learning, start there and then take what it gives you and ask more questions of it and ask more questions. And then when you've kind of got all your questions answered, then use what you've got to bring to bear to that body of data and leverage it in a useful way. And that's going to be marketing people trying to generate copy. That's going to be service people trying to figure out how to answer support tickets fastest. That's going to be sales reps trying to say, who should I call? Who's most likely to close out of these deals that we've got open right now? I really think that same approach is fairly universal and is going to apply across the spectrum. Where it's the problem, though, again, that's what I always tell people. Like, if you're copying and pasting directly from it, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what I think is going to be the approach. And so we're seeing tools that are developing that have exactly that in mind. They're saying, hey, we're using AI to get you that stuff that you may be interested, to get your brain going, to get your imagination going, to start to get you um, some things to think about. Because it can recognize, comb through thousands and thousands and thousands of data points and at least say like hey you should look here 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 and here and that's where i think from a from a crm perspective where we're going to really see value people that use it to fully replace employees like we've seen clients try that we've seen different people i mean we've all we've all got that friend you know it doesn't really work to fully replace it. I mean, I set up a Reddit bot that goes out there and does uh, chat GPT for responses to people on Reddit. That's surprisingly low um, reputation on Reddit. A lot of people see through it. I was like, hey, can it work? And it's like, no, it doesn't really work. You know, it doesn't really replace <laughs> yeah. a person, um, but it can give a person a real jump start on what they're trying to do. So yeah, I mean, if your AI tool is, hey, you always had a screwdriver, but now instead of a hand screwdriver, you got a power drill. You're still going to need the person to wield it. You're still going to need stuff to support it, but you are going to get a ton more done in the same amount of time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alden. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, how can people reach out and connect with you? Um, ask you questions. Where do they find you? Yeah. So LinkedIn is always a good way. I don't think there's many Alden Dales out there in the world. That's the blessing of having kind of a unique name. You can always <laughs> search me out there. Our website, arevio.com, A-R-E-V-E-O. Um, you could always go out there. I've got a contact form and heck, you get to see some of my fun marketing automation. I like to set up for my clients. If you, if you plug your name into my website there, 
feel free to reach out to me. I always just love, you know, love chatting with people, love working through answers. You need somebody to tell you know about stuff. I'm happy to do that. Talking tech, <laughs> talking operations, talking. I mean, I got a liberal arts degree, so I can talk that side of things. I got a applied math, general math and stat degree, so I can talk that side of things. Just love connecting with others in the space. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alden. This has been super fun. And we will see you listeners next time. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Tanner. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It means the world to me and these solutions partners I'm working with. If you want to learn more about them, all the details is in the podcast description. Go check it out. See you guys next time.